Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food. My name is Stephanie. I am your host, expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist. And today we are talking about navigating pregnancy after loss. So obviously some trigger warnings here for you all today around miscarriage and pregnancy loss. So if this is a topic that you don't want to be hearing about right now, My heart goes out to you, totally understand, find another episode to tune into, but I am excited to be talking about this topic because it does need to be spoken about more. And I am joined by an amazing guest, Jennifer Robertson, who is a fertility coach, and she has helped women all over the world transform their mindset and take back control of their life in the midst of infertility. She's also an author of The Injustice of Infertility, a deeply inspiring and raw account of her own seven-year fertility journey. So she has that real lived experience. Throughout her own fertility journey, Jen discovered that her old ways of pushing and working hard weren't serving her. She's now using the lessons learned along the way to develop programs and support women throughout their journey to motherhood from the moment they start trying to conceive until they hold their baby in their arms. We'll make sure that all of Jen's links are in the show notes for you, but welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate your time. So tell us a little bit about your story and now what you do as a fertility coach, because I know a lot of our clients are always interested in learning more about like what fertility coaching is and what it entails and they feel like it's a little bit vague and so they don't know if it's for them. So maybe if you can give us a little bit more insight, we can shed some light on the important work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as you said, I am a fertility coach and I became that based on what I needed on my seven-year fertility journey. So it spanned, as I said, seven years and started when I was 33 and my husband and I decided that we wanted to start our family and we had no idea the lengths and the twists and turns that we would have to go through to achieve that. So as a snapshot, you know, we, we tried for six months things weren't happening. And so we went and got tested. Uh, My husband's sperm wasn't that fantastic, but, you know, not, you know, it wasn't something that we had to really worry about. I wasn't getting a regular period. And, you know, having said that, I had been on the pill. So I'd been taking contraception for 16 years before that. So, Looking back now, it kind of makes sense. But at the time, as your typical type A personality, I was very impatient. I just wanted to, what do I have to do next? And so we went down the path of IVF automatically. And we got halfway through that cycle and discovered that I wasn't getting a lining on my uterus. 
So then became the next year trying to work out what we had to do to, to get a lining on my uterus because basically if, if that didn't happen, then there was no point in, in going forward. You know, I wouldn't be able to carry my own child. So so we tried a whole lot of different things. We tried different fertility treatments. We had various exploratory surgeries. I tried different diets. Um, we went on the candida diet for a while, which you know gave us a lot of energy, but still didn't regulate my cycle or provide me with aligning. Acupuncture, fertility teas all of the different things you know I went down the list I ticked them all off and nothing would budge that so eventually we went back to our fertility specialist and they said the only way that you're going to be able to have a baby of your own is to use a surrogate so at the time we had some frozen embryos from our first IVF cycle and we were lucky enough that my sister-in-law volunteered to be our surrogate which was an absolutely amazing thing, but it was also filled with so much grief as well because this is a job that I had dreamed of pretty much my whole life. And here, as a control freak, was being told that I had to hand that job over to someone else. Anyway, so we get through that and we just we thought that this, this was our answer, we would get our baby and we spent the next two years going IVF cycle after IVF cycle, transfer after transfer and, and it wasn't happening for us and eventually it did and uh, we got pregnant and unfortunately uh, six weeks later she had a miscarriage which was very, it was complicated, you know, like going through miscarriage um, that wasn't happening inside of you and the guilt around we had caused this to someone that we loved mm. so dearly that wanted to gift us with a baby. So we got through that, as you do, and got pregnant again and then Luca was born. So that was amazing. And six weeks after, or actually two weeks after Luca was born, I got pregnant naturally myself. <gasps> Amazing. What a story. Absolutely. And unfortunately, six weeks later, I had my own miscarriage, <sighs> which is tough enough to navigate your way through. But I had a newborn baby at that point in time mm -hmm. as well. So trying to, you know, be grateful for everything that I had yet still grieving going through grief mm. at the same time you know it was as it's complicated it's all complicated so anyway we got through that and six months later I got pregnant naturally again I was 39 at the time so I blew all of the statistics out of the water and and this one stuck and so now we have Sophie as well so Luca is seven and Sophie is five and we've completed our little family and as I said this inspired me or led me to become a fertility coach because that's what I needed so desperately when I was on my journey. You know, we went and saw counsellors and things like that and I just kept on thinking, you don't know. You don't know what this feels like, you know. So I needed someone as a type A personality to, to not just talk about my feelings but what do I do next? You know, what do I have to do to support myself? You know, it's one thing... Everyone telling you to just relax or just go on a holiday. It's kind of like, how, how do you actually do that when, you know, 
relaxing is a completely foreign um, concept to you. So, mm-hmm. so yes, that is our story in a nutshell. As you said before, I have written a book about it, The Injustice of Infertility, and so it kind of goes through all of the twists and turns, and it's a really raw and real account because a lot of the times we hold this stuff inside and mm. we feel like it's just us and there's a lot of shame around it as well. There's a lot of shame in pregnancy loss and there's also a lot of shame in pregnancy after loss and the fact that we can't react the way that we feel like we should be able to react. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Well, I'm so sorry for the losses that you've experienced, Jennifer, and, and what your family would have been going through at that time and, you know, I'm I'm glad that you have completed your beautiful little family and and how I'm I know they know how loved and wanted they were from the get-go and I think that is one of the hidden gifts if we could say <laughs> what's probably not the best mm-hmm. term of infertility is um you can always always rely on um your children knowing how loved and wanted they were from the very get-go absolutely yeah well I am excited to dive into this topic a little bit further because as you kind of mentioned before is often a topic filled with a lot of shame when it comes to pregnancy loss and things that are happening behind closed doors and and people don't advertise um and that's understandable because I think in our social media driven world where we're showing the shiny highlight bits the pregnancy tests the babies the bumps the baby showers you know all the fun upsides of creating a family however that looks like for you but a lot of people don't know what could have been happening prior to those happy moments and that's often not shown so I guess how common is this happening? How common is a pregnancy loss when it comes to fertility and and whether that's really classified as infertility? Because I think sometimes people who are conceiving and then miscarrying feel like they're not part of the infertility community because they're actually getting the the positive pregnancy tests and maybe they're getting four to six weeks into things Mm -hmm. or maybe longer, maybe 10, 12 weeks or further. And and then sadly having a loss versus people that are unable to conceive and unable to get a positive pregnancy test, they feel like, oh, do I go see a fertility special? Like I don't really know what to do here. I'm not technically not conceiving. I am, but like this is not leading to a baby in my arms at, at home. So how common is this and how do you see that kind of aspect of trying to find their their group um, when it comes to people experiencing pregnancy loss? Yeah, unfortunately, it is more common than than we would think. About twenty five percent of pregnancies end in in miscarriage, and those are the ones that that are known, that are reported, and and in terms of infertility. You know, here in Australia, one in six go through some version of infertility and one in eight in the US. So it is something that that is quite common. Whether that gives us comfort or not, I'm not quite sure about. But as you said, it is such an isolating journey because 
we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to process the heavy emotions. It is wrapped in shame. And also we keep it to ourselves because when we do share, people don't know how to react. So if you are talking to someone, and I had this experience, you know, when I was in my 20s, my sister had a a miscarriage as well. And I said, I, I really believe that I said all of the things that hurt, you know, at least it happened now, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant, all of those different things. And the thing was, I had no idea that those sorts of things were were hurtful. So it is when we do tell people, they can minimize our loss and they don't know how to, you know, help you through the grief that you're going through. I think grief with miscarriage is very different than grief when someone passes away you know when someone passes away that it's almost like there's this protocol there's a process that you follow through you know you ask them whether they're okay you take them casseroles they there's a there's a funeral service you know and and the thing that you're grieving gets further away as you move forward with your life and you know obviously grief is very complicated but I find with things like infertility and pregnancy loss, those things follow us. It's, it's like they don't get any further away because it, there's the constant reminder of, you know, you take the pregnancy test the next month or, you know, you try to get pregnant again. Like it's, it's something that you live inside of continually. So not only is it hard for other people to support us through our grief because they don't know how, but we don't know how to support ourselves through our grief as well. So that does lead us to, to shutting down and trying to process it ourselves. And for me, I actually didn't process our our losses at all. I was of the attitude of let's just keep going. You know, I think a, a pregnancy loss creates it's almost like this hole inside of you. It's like this void inside of you. And at the time you think, I just need to fill that up. I need to get back to that place. It's like you've you know, a pregnancy, a positive pregnancy test, it puts you on such a high that you're like, I, I like it, it's this adrenaline. And then when you fall off, you're like, I need to get back there again. I need to get that high. And it almost becomes this desperation. So for me, I didn't sit in my grief. I didn't, I didn't grieve at all. And so it, it's tough, you know, it, it, like it's really tough to work through those really heavy emotions. So Finding refuge and finding support in people who have been there before gives us such comfort. And, um, you know, there are definitely support groups out there. There are people like me, fertility coaches. There are pregnancy loss coaches. I think that it is important that there is an outlet, that we always have an outlet or a safe space that we can go to be able to to put our hand up because there is there is almost like not, I mean, we would never wish this on anyone else at all, but there is comfort in knowing that it's not just you, that it wasn't just the fertility God saying, no, you are not worthy of being a mother. 
you know, this is karma, you have done something wrong. It's it's kind of nice to know that that it's not just you, that you haven't just been singled out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I always say it's the same with like endometriosis. It's uh, the club that no one wants to be a part of, but the members are pretty awesome. So I, I tend to find that nobody wants to be part of those groups. Like we wish those groups didn't exist, but for the people that it affects, it is such, you know, like you said, a place of refuge and place of safety and community. And I think that's what you need in this time when you can feel so isolated. What did you learn on your own journey, Jennifer, in terms of building your family? I mean, it sounded like that whole type A aspect really kind of took you over and then it was that process of letting go and I'm guessing that probably infuses a lot into how you coach now as as a fertility coach but was there any I'm sure you learned lots of things along the way both in like all the jargon in the IVF world and all the technical side of things but I guess looking back at it now you've got some more perspective of time what were the takeaways for you from from that seven-year journey? Yeah, and the thing is that we learn so much about ourselves that I guess the predominant thing that I learned about myself was that I really suck at processing the tough emotions. I, you know, I I don't like it. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I've always been such a glass half full kind of person that I realized that I didn't know how to deal with something like this. And this is the thing, we're dealing with such huge emotions that we don't even know where to start. We don't even know how to name them or even comprehend them, let alone try to move past them or deal with them. So a lot of the time what I did was I pushed them down. I pushed them down. I, I didn't acknowledge them. I tried to hide them with, you know, I'll just meditate. I'll just try to be grateful. I'll just, you know, and and that stuff just doesn't work. You know, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it, it's trying to attack something with a feather. You know, it's trying to knock over a rock with a feather. It's just, it's not going to, to budge at all. So that was the big thing that I learned. The other thing that I learned was that sometimes you hard work doesn't get you the results that you need. You know, I, I grew up with the the idea of if you just want something, you just work harder or you double down. You you increase the effort. You you add more things to your to do list. You you keep pushing. You keep doing more. You keep you know like just running and running and running. And I realized, you know, when I got pregnant naturally myself, the one thing that changed was my stress levels. That was the one thing that changed. So I realized from that, and it's a hard habit to break. I'm still working on that, you know, on on trying to slow down and create some space in in my life. So, um, you know, yeah, it it taught me a really big lesson in, in terms of how it is that, you know, that we we get the things that we want and there's not just one way of doing it and and I guess more than anything it, it taught me that I am stubborn and that I am resilient and that I have strength that I never even knew existed and while this doesn't really help while you're in the the thick of it you know, I look back now and anything that comes up, I'm like, if I could get through that, 
I can get through this. So it's almost like this reminder of your strength every single day when, you know, you get through things that you never thought that you could. And, and here you are, you're, yeah. you're still breathing and you're still alive and, and, you know, life is still good. Yeah. I think the timing of when you conceived both times is so, you know, telling to where you may have been feeling and that relief of, you know, bringing home a baby and after so long and everything you had been through as a family. And yeah, I, I see it so often in, in clinic is, you know, when, when something happens and either they even say something, they vocalize something that they've been holding in and then get an email a couple of weeks later saying they're pregnant. I'm like, I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the relief. Yeah. Sometimes we need a relief. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Now, what are some of the key struggles that you see people experiencing who conceive after loss? So perhaps this is somebody who's been trying to conceive, may have experienced one or more pregnancy losses, and then they conceive again. I mean, I see lots of of, of this in our clinic uh, with one-on-one clients, and I can think of a few different things that come up time and time again. But what are some of the key struggles from your perspective, your experiences and and in your in this field of what's going on for them? Yeah, so the predominant emotion that comes up is anxiety. Uh, you know, it overshadows absolutely everything. There is fear, anxiety, um, there's guilt as well. So we all have that picture in our head of how our pregnancy is supposed to look. You know, we, we watch romantic comedies. We see social media of people announcing their pregnancies in funny and beautiful and sweet ways. And we have dreamed of doing that as well. But unfortunately, we're on a different path. The path of pregnancy after loss or infertility, it doesn't look like the traditional method. So the struggle, and there is a lot of internal struggle that happens when we feel like we should be excited, that we feel like we should be able to scream it from the rooftops. And then there's the icing on the cake where we realize that pregnancy announcements still trigger us. Pregnant women still trigger us. And then we go to that space of there's something wrong with me. You know, so there's a lot of guilt. And then we've been in the infertility community for quite some time. And and then we feel guilty because we're like, I should feel more excited because people would kill to be in my position right now. And now I can't fully feel all of the excitement. So there's guilt. There's that feeling of being ungrateful. But most of all, there's that feeling of, of going, what's wrong with me? Like, what is seriously wrong with me? And, and I say to you, if you're going through that, there is nothing wrong with you. You are going down a completely different path. Now, your reactions that you are having right now, the fear, the anxiety, the sadness, the guilt, the the, the shame, all of those different things are completely normal in pregnancy after loss. It's a different path. So we need to change our expectations of ourselves. 
you know, and and I think that one of the big things that we find as well is dealing with our friends and family while we're pregnant as well, because they don't understand. They don't understand why you can't tell people or why, you know, you don't want to have a baby shower or why you, you don't want to do a big announcement or do the baby registry or anything like that. And it can pile a little bit of extra extra guilt on you as well. You know, it is, it's filled with anxiety and it's filled with that continual search of if I just get to 12 weeks, then I'll feel safe. And then you get to 12 weeks and you see the scan and everything's fine and you get this moment of peace and then you walk out of the the doctor's office and all of a sudden you feel fear again. You're like, there's something wrong with me. So then you make the commitment, if I just get to the next scan, then I'll feel safe. And it's this continual searching for peace on this journey. Whereas, you know, it helps to, to dial it back a little bit as well, our expectations and go, you know what, I'm scared. I, 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 you know, I'm worried about this and that's okay and that's completely normal and I'm going to aim to feel a little bit safer than I did yesterday but it is about lowering expectations for how we will feel in this pregnancy because it is different. Yeah, I think the milestone thing, Jennifer, you really nailed and I have this conversation with clients who've been in this exact position all the time and I'll, I'll ask them, you know, how are you feeling, where's your head at? you know, do you need support? And they're like, no, no, I'm okay. Just once I get to the 13-week scan, then I'll feel good. And then it'll be the 20-week scan. And then it'll be once, you know, the viability point. And then, you know, once I know I'm in out of the preterm labor window. And I, I, I always say straight up, I'm like, these milestones are amazing. And you should celebrate them, all of them. But using them as the contingency for when you will feel a little more relaxed, it's not going to happen because guess what? Baby's going to come and you're going to feel anxious about something happening to them then. And that's normal too. But my point is, is this feeling isn't leaving you. It's with you now. So let's talk about it. Let's get you some support. Let's get you some strategies now so you can actually look back on this pregnancy and go, Yep, it wasn't like the excitement and elation of my very first positive pregnancy test when I was a little bit more naive to these things. But I can look back and go, I did my best. I took it one day at a time and I celebrated the little wins. And yes, I was anxious along the way, but that's okay. And I think there's such a difference between those two things. And so many people have those milestone, you know, things. Which I which I totally get, and but I think we need to also move beyond the milestones too, and think about there is so much life in between those milestones. Yeah, and I think it's that acceptance. Mm. Yes, yes, it is acceptance of okay, this is going to look a little bit different, and mm. and we always talk about this concept of peace as well, and it's like. If I can just hold my baby in my arms, then I'm going to feel a little bit peace. Or if I can just go on a holiday, then I'll feel peaceful. And, you know, like I learned the hard way that peace isn't a place or a milestone. You know, life is always going to throw you a whole heap of curveballs 
It is about acceptance and developing some coping strategies so that you can find a little bit of peace in every single, well, not every single moment, that's impossible, but, you know, in moments throughout the day and accepting that, yeah, sometimes you are going to be a hot mess express and that is okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was just about to ask you, what are some of those key strategies when it comes to navigating a pregnancy after a loss? Because it is a different pregnancy. So we talked a little bit about expectation management, finding some coping mechanisms and finding that element of peace in the littler moments that the life in between the milestones. Is there anything else that you can add or maybe elaborate on there, Jennifer, that would be helpful to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that I've found is connection. You know, when we connect with other people, we feel less lonely. We feel like it's not just us. We feel completely validated in what we're going through. We feel we're given permission to not do things so perfectly. We find so much comfort and we also find strength as well. You know, there's nothing more empowering than watching other people go through, you know, what you're going through, but, you know, like they're doing it, you know, and they're showing up. So the big thing is connection. And that is why I created Your Pregnancy Haven, which is the support community for women who are pregnant after infertility or loss, because I was finding that my my private coaching clients were getting pregnant and then there was nothing. And there's a big transition from infertility or trying to get pregnant and that community and pregnancy after loss or infertility you have to make that transition because it's no longer focusing on you know 25 percent of you know pregnancies and in miscarriage like you're trying to go to the other side of the statistic you know and saying that there's more chance that this will actually work and so it is about finding a way to transition and that's what this community does so um, connection is a big part of it. Another big part is slowing down. You know, when you're in a highly stressed state, that's when you don't get enough sleep and then you don't eat well because you're not getting enough sleep. And because you're not eating well, you're not taking care of yourself, you know, and, and you're, you know, you just on going and going and that's when the mindset kicks in. You know, everything kind of works together it's it's everything that you're putting into your body and when you are running and running and running the overthinking starts you know that monkey mind of you know I've been here before so this feels familiar so you know what happens if I don't see a heartbeat what happens if this happens and and we start googling down that rabbit hole as well trying to search for certainty so I find that it starts with slowing down. For some reason, when we get pregnant, we're kind of like, right, I have to do all of these different things. I'm pregnant and I have to work on my career and I have to, you know, do up the house and do this and do that. And, you know, when you're finally pregnant, like your body is doing so much stuff already that it's automatic permission for you to slow down because your body's working harder than it ever has before. So, 
it all begins with slowing down. And that starts with just walking slower. It, it starts with creating some space in your day rather than going from meeting to meeting to meeting and rushing. It starts with saying no to things that you don't want to do. Boundaries are a big thing, you know. Like we always say yes more than we say no. So it is about, you know, breathing, listening to, to slow music, um, you know, like having a, I was going to say have a bath, but obviously not too, not too hot. Uh, but, you know, like those are the different things that we can do to slow down. And when we slow down, that mindset and the overthinking will start to slow down a little bit as well. So I think another thing um, is about, you know, your doctor support as well. I hear from so many women who don't feel validated in their fears with the doctor that they go to. So they feel like they're dismissed. And going for those doctor's appointments and ultrasound appointments, it can be so fearful. There's so much anxiety. Just even sitting in that doctor's office waiting for them to come in. So I always say make sure that your doctor is on the same page and that they are compassionate and sensitive to the fact that you have had a loss before and allow you to organize extra ultrasound appointments, extra appointments where you can get checked on your health, all of those different things, but but making sure that they're on the same page because if they're not, then they are going to become an extra source of anxiety and you really don't need extra anxiety right now. So I think a lot of the time we feel like we're stuck, that we just have to accept it as part of the course, but there are specialists or there are doctors out there who, who you know, are more sensitive than others. Unfortunately, you know, like yeah. it should all be the same, but you know, we've all had the bad experience with the doctor who dismissed our feelings and made us feel like there was something wrong with us and that what we were feeling wasn't valid. So yeah, making sure that you get the support and making sure that you're doing all of the stuff that gives you, you know, gives you energy, whether it's getting outside in nature and you know, soaking up some sunshine, even if it's just for five minutes or going for a walk along the beach. I did that this morning. You know, it's just taking taking care of yourself. You know, you're growing a baby right now and it's important to mother yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing strategies there, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing. What support did you seek out at the time that you were going through your losses? And now flipping that, what would you advise others who may be in this position of maybe pregnant after loss or just experienced a loss and not sure where to turn to next what what resources are available to these people that are going through this yeah I always say to people please don't do what I did I am not the poster child for yes I did it perfectly and I processed my emotions and I got the support that I needed no I was one of these people I was like I can do this by myself I just have to work a little harder you know it's so yes I was like do not do what I did what I would have done and this is why I do what I do now because I'm like please don't do what I did you know, what I would do is is get the support. You know, there is no shame in putting up your hand and going, you know what, I can't do this by myself. That is 
okay. So whether it is joining a community, whether it is, you know, like there is your pregnancy haven there, you can join us, whether it is getting a fertility coach, you know, working one-on-one, whether it's going to a therapist, whether it is making sure that you have, you know, a doctor that supports you, um, creating friendships and things like that that are going to support you. Um, yeah, just making sure that that you are getting the support that you need out there. I think that's probably one of the most important things, realising that you don't have to just bumble your way through it. It doesn't, doesn't make you weak to reach out for help. Um, it, it's, you know, the old cliche, it's a sign of strength. Yeah, absolutely. I see, actually, just on that note, I see a few clients who, you know, do you want to just like I'll ask some opening up kind of questions and they kind of clam down and they're like, no, no, I just want to focus on the next transfer or focus on trying to conceive or, you know, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And obviously we can't guarantee anything, um, but, you know, the, the oh, let's just move along. And you know, I, I'm not here to, I don't want to say that that's not healthy or right for any individual, but in your experience and opinion, is it okay for, are some people just going to be okay with doing that and, and be okay in the long term? Or in your experience, does it does it bubble back up at some point? Well, I guess, I mean, I talk to the people that it's not working for and it didn't work for me. Are there people out there that that works for? Maybe, but uh, but you would know yourself if it's not working. You know, when uh, when you're seeking out help, or, or you know, well, my followers or my audience on Instagram, they follow me because they're not doing okay. So, you know, most of the time, um, it it doesn't help, and you know yourself if you're not coping because you know that you know, you're just not yourself, you're snappy, you're, you know, you're, you're angry, you're miserable, everything feels hopeless, everything feels like such a hassle, you are struggling with so much overwhelm that you already know whether it's working for you or not. And deep down, I knew, I knew that, it, it, you know, that it wasn't working for me. But what I thought was, I thought if I can just get to the end, then it'll magically disappear. And unfortunately, it didn't for me. And I talked to a lot of my coaching clients who, you know, who get to the end and they have their baby and they and they come back to me. I'm like, and they're like, you were right. It doesn't just go away, unfortunately. You know, it is something that we do that we do need to work through and it's not comfortable. It's not nice. We don't want to do it. Um, but I do feel like it is an essential part in this. Yeah, absolutely. I guess switching gears a little bit since we are fertility friendly food here on the podcast, did nutrition and lifestyle play a bit of a role in your own trying to conceive journey? I heard you mentioned a few dietary strategies um, and and or what role do you see it playing in the work that you do now in terms of working with your clients and your community? Yeah, absolutely. 
look, you know, I'm a big proponent in a healthy diet. And I think that we're on the same page when we talk about diet as well. Obviously, I'm not a nutritionist or anything like that. But I think as soon as we start restricting stuff, then, you know, if you tell me that I can't eat bananas, even though I don't even like bananas, the first thing I'm going to want is a banana, you know, so that's the way that my mind works. So I'm always about eat more of the good stuff. You know, we hear it over and over again. I'm sure I probably heard it from you. Eat the rainbow. And as long as you stick to that, that's fantastic. Obviously, that's not everyone's case because people sometimes do have food intolerances or allergies and, and things like that. But, you know, for, for me, food and rest and lifestyle are the most important places to start. Unfortunately, they're usually the place that people go to after they've tried absolutely everything else. So yes. Can can concur. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you know it plays an absolutely huge part, not just you know with your fertility, but life beyond that as well. Yes, you know it, it feeds your mindset, it feeds your emotional state, it feeds your energy, it feeds like anything that's happening, and you know we we really we really need to look after our body, you know. I mean, it's easier said than done because we do live in this society where we are rushing and we just want to do everything really quickly. So we take the easy way out. Um, and, you know, for me on my journey, you know, I, I, turned to, I turned to wine. That was my vice, you know. That was my mm. numbing mechanism. And I think that food has such an emotional um, component to it as well you know we we do use it as a coping strategy instead of talking to people and processing things yes in a healthy way so my attitude is you know like there's no need to feel guilty about it you know eat eat the good stuff you know every every and I guess the motto is balance everything in moderation Mm. yeah I think we get so hung up on having like everything being in order, you know, everything being where it needs to be so that we can't look back and, and, you know, resent our past selves for not doing all that we could. And sometimes done is better than perfect and there is no such thing as perfect and it's okay to, you know, go out on the weekend and have a glass of wine on a date night or at your friend's wedding or for your parents' 70th birthday, it's okay. It's, it isn't going to all come crumbling down from one thing. It just doesn't work like that. That's not how diet and lifestyle works. And if it's getting in the way of you living your life, there's, there's probably some more things there that you really need to unpack as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast, and sharing a bit about your story and navigating pregnancy after loss. I know this is going to reach so many people who have been in these in, the, in these shoes right now or have been in the past and maybe haven't really quite processed what's gone on for them. And, you know, I I can imagine lots of people with toddlers and, you know, school-aged children who maybe haven't thought about this 
in in uh, in some way in a long time and uh you know want to come to terms with it so i really appreciate your time and expertise now where can people find out more about you you mentioned your pregnancy haven which i refer clients to all the time um and the work that you do i'll make sure i'll link everything in the show notes but can you just shout out your socials and all the awesome resources you have and we'll make sure the link to those below yeah for sure so as you mentioned i have your pregnancy haven so you can find me over on instagram under that name also website under that name as well and attached to that is a free resource that you can download with five things that you can do to reduce your anxiety while pregnant after loss and find a little bit of peace in your pregnancy and then I also have my fertility side as well, which is Ms. Jennifer Robertson. And my website is www.jenniferrobertson.co. Amazing. Thank you again for joining us. I know you will have lots of people heading on over to your page. Your content is so captivating. I always find myself like a like a Netflix binge, but on your account. So I absolutely love what you put out there. I know you make such a difference to the people that you work with in your community. And yeah, we so appreciate your time. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts or now in Spotify and a review as well and subscribe and share with a family member or friend who you may feel this episode might be beneficial for. All right, everyone, bye. (laughs)